do have a quorum. Uh, so rather than uh, delay any longer, let's get started. I know it's uh, just it's 7.32 by my watch. So we'll start. Um, and thank you for joining us. Welcome to the uh, December 28th, uh, 2022 meeting of the Milton Conservation Commission. Uh, commission members are appointed by the select board to implement the rules and regulations of the Wetlands Protection Act and the Milton Town Bylaw governing the wetlands. Uh, two matters of formality. Number one, we invite everyone to speak and ask questions. Uh, but we do ask that you introduce yourselves so that uh, we know and the record will show who you are. And uh, the second matter of formality is we introduce ourselves. My name is John Kiernan. And Todd, I'll just do it as I can see it. Todd? Todd Hamilton, member. Wendy? Good evening. I'm Wendy Garpo, Commissioner. Tom? Tom Palmer, Commissioner. Arthur? Arthur Doyle, member. Steve Ivis? And Steve Ibis, uh, conservation agent. All right, I think I got everybody that's that's on. Uh, we are missing Ingrid and Hans, but I expect uh, Hans to join. Uh, so let's get started. And uh, we only we have a short agenda tonight. Uh, and first on the agenda is uh, request notice of intent at 600 Canton Avenue. That's Winter Valley. And I see uh, Ned and Sarah are here and others. So Ned, I'll, I'll uh, hand the podium to you. Right, thank you very much, John. Uh, happy holidays all. And um, thank you for the opportunity to be back. Um, this is a continued hearing, continued from the uh, November uh, hearing to a site walk on December 10th, followed by a brief session on at your last December hearing and then continued to tonight. Um, as you know, this is a Notice of intent filed for Winter Valley for their Building Six project. It's a project that is for which we are entering into a competition for funding with D, with uh, HUD uh, to fund the uh, cost of developing this new Building Six. There are currently five buildings on the site at Winter Valley. Building Six, if you recall, was to be located on an isolated wetland about 5,000 square feet and change. Um, we spent some time uh, prior to the filing of the NOI working with Steve. Um, and I know Steve hosted a site, site walk with members of the commission in September, uh, particularly to look at a replication area on town-owned property at the base of the main driveway into the, the Winter Valley property. I think people collectively agreed that replicating uh, at that location, as opposed to in other areas proximate to the building six location, would be more valuable, serve a much greater purpose, uh, and we think um, provides legitimate and significant benefit not only to the project itself, but more importantly to the town. Uh, it is a replication area that will receive stormwater and uh, flood waters from Canton Avenue as well as from Project Locus. It will um, receive uh, those uh, the, those waters. It will provide water quality treatment uh, before the, the the water enters into the budding town wetland, existing wetland, and before uh, the, those waters flow uh, through uh, down Wendell Park into uh, Pine Tree Brook. Um, we I think the last I hope the last issue that we have before us is to consider a tree replacement uh, budget. Uh, proposal. We have submitted a proposal 
that seek some relief on a straight dollar for dollar basis, but which we think is appropriate given the cost and the value of the replicated wetland uh, to the town. The, the, there is a benefit uh, we think to the town that is calculable. We provided an engineer's estimate for the cost to replicate um, that wetland and to maintain it into the future. The dollars approximate $100,000 in terms of not just construction and design, but also um, long-term operations and maintenance. And we're requesting at least partial credit for the value of that as it relates to the value of a tree replacement uh, budget or payment into uh, the town for tree replacement purposes. Um, we submitted a proposal for $10 an inch as the in the, the delta between the number of inches to be removed in accordance with the tree survey that we submitted and the number of inches that would be replaced, if you will, through the uh, planting plan that we submitted um, as part of the project. Uh, it's a significant number, uh, as you know, and I think the cost, the replication cost could run from $50,000 north to $100,000, give or take um, how you look at uh, the replication, uh, the, the, the types of replication, the types of trees that might be purchased uh, to replace. That's a significant number. It's a difficult number to absorb within this project budget. Um, it's, as I said, we are in a entering into a competitive process uh, with HUD for funding. We've, we've done a refinancing of existing uh, debt to take some equity out. This additional debt that will be applied for, uh, and if we're successful, would get somewhere in the neighborhood of $3 million. But 100,000, 50 to 100,000 on top of this replication um, is really a significant number and a difficult number to absorb within the entire budget from HUD. So we are requesting that the commission give us some accommodation uh, based on the following set of factors. One, MRE is a nonprofit entity providing 100% of its units as affordable units for elderly and persons of disab with disabilities uh, in the community. We're unlike most other applicants who come before the commission, we're not a for-profit entity. Um, and all funding is uh, received through grants from HUD and or through rent subsidies provided by HUD to um, the, the tenants that, that uh, live in the facilities. Um, the second is that there is a significant benefit, we think, uh, for the work being done uh, on behalf of the town. Canton Avenue uh, stormwater management is, is in poor condition. Uh, water comes straight off of Canton Avenue, comes into the wetland. We think it's, it creates an opportunity to capture that stormwater, to clean it, uh, and to better manage it and to provide, um, as I said, uh, flood storage uh, at, the, at, the, at the location. And so if, if the number, if we say 100,000 or 50,000 50, is the number for a tree replacement and you gave us credit for 50% of the value of the construction of that location and accepted the offer of 13,000 and change as a payment into the town's tree fund uh, to, to create a pretty good tree bank for trees. We think that combination of things is really worthy of consideration 
by the commission, and we'd ask you to consider that very carefully. Um, I know Sarah can speak more specifically to issues of HUD and how the facility works and operates and how difficult and how close this budgets are, um, but it's a, um, you know, this is a real, uh, it's a real issue for us uh, and a difficult one for us to, to manage. And I know that consistency is something that's very important to the commission and how it um, works on all of these matters as well. And we're trying, we're not trying to run away and hide from an, from an obligation. What we are trying to do is work as best we can within a uh, consistent approach to tree replication while, while looking at uh, something that we think is also unusual and that the re tree replication area is being de developed on town-owned property. It's not on our own property. It's and being, as I said, being done in part uh, for the benefit of the town. So with that, I'll pause, open it to you for questions. Don't know, Sarah, if you want to add anything to that at this point, um, I'd leave it to you. Hello, um, my name is Sarah McLaren, and thank you um, for coming out to our site quite a few times. We're very excited about our new building. Um, and I do just want to reiterate that the HUD funding that we're going for is, a, it's a highly competitive, um, it's, you know, there's not unlimited funds and it's very competitive. In fact, this grant program um, for, I think it was over 10 years now, they've not issued any of their funds. Um, and this is just the second year now that they have issued funds and going forward, it's unknown if we'll have um, to be able to go for them. Just on top of the grant um, money that they do give you for construction, I just do wanna highlight that they also issue subsidy on the units, um, which stays in place with the units so that every resident that moves in gets, um, it's a 30% of their income they pay towards rent. And then the balance HUD pays for us every month to run the building. So these subsidies are very, very difficult to get, um, almost impossible. So this is a really good opportunity for us. Um, and we're just trying to put in an application that doesn't have any red flags to it. Um, that it looks like it's um, a very straightforward, um, a very straightforward proposal with full support of the town, um, and no red flags, and they'll just uh, approve it. And thank you. Oh, thank you, Sarah, and thank you, Ned, very much. Um, I, I can react uh, for myself, and, and then open it up to uh, others on the commission. Um, uh, and then open it up to abutters and members of the public for questions and, and comments. Uh, my first reaction is to state, you know, very affirmatively that we are acutely sensitive to the fact that Winter Valley is a not-for-profit. It provides a benefit. Um, uh, this project will enhance our affordable housing units in the town. Uh, I think it's a, a grand organization, uh, so it, it, it certainly has my full support, and I, and I suspect that uh, uh, other members of the commission as well. Um, having said that, I, I have to say that we do try to implement the rules and regulations of both uh, uh, DEP regs, the State Wetlands Protection Act, and the town bylaw. And uh, I, I don't think to a fault, but I think we do make a huge effort to be uniform in our application of our 
performance standards and our uh, application of the rules and regulations. And having said that, um, I have two comments about your proposal. One is that um, the replication of the wetland on the townland, I, I think is a good idea. I think it does provide a benefit, uh, but that's the cost of using uh, the isolated wetland that you're gonna in part, take in part, not entirely uh, for your project. So it's, it would be a, a limited uh, uh, project. You're, you're not taking the whole thing, but the cost of that is replication. So you, you can't get credit twice for that. If you take a wetland, you have to replicate it. You have to restore it or replicate it. And I know your plan is to do both, uh, which I think is a, a great idea. So um, good idea, full support uh, of the wetlands replication. When it comes to the tree replacement, we try to be uniform in our approach. So when I looked at the, the our proposal initially, I said, oh boy, that looks like it's gonna be a, like a cost of $100,000. And then I, I looked at it again and did some math and transferred the uh, circumference units into diameter units. And I believe that I'm just gonna round off the figures, but there are 420 to 1326 inches in circumference, 422 in diameter. If you divide that by three, three and a half or four. And, and I'll tell you why I'm doing those three because the number of trees changes and the cost changes. If we were divided by three, the cost is about $74,000 worth of trees pursuant to our performance standards that we have, in my experience for 30 years, always used. Um, that would be 74,000. If we use tree replacement at three and a half inches of caliber or diameter, that would reduce it to 62,000 uh, approximately. If we were to, uh, to divide by four, that is replacing four inch trees, uh, that would uh, come down to 105 trees, the cost of which is $52,000. So what I'm trying to do is I'm, I'm being sensitive to the costs here. Um, and so we could get it down to 52,000 if we were to uh, divide by four that being reflective of the four inch tree to be replanted. That would be consistent with our performance standard that we have, uh, to my knowledge, always used uh, for all applicants, whether they're um, not-for-profits or for-profits or private homeowners. And you know, be alert to the fact that we do deal with schools, colleges, churches, not-for-profits all over the town, uh, including some uh, conservation groups. Uh, so we try to be consistent with that and be sensitive to your needs. My suggestion is, uh, and I don't think this is a red flag, and Sarah, um, I, I know you said that this would be a red flag, but this is a, a bona fide construction cost, just as replicating the wetlands is a bona fide uh, cost. You're not, you don't have to buy new land, which is great, um, but you do, as part of the construction cost, you do have to replicate the wetlands because you're essentially moving the existing wetland. So that's a bona fide cost. And the tree replacement, uh, whether you call it landscaping or uh, replication or tree replacement, that's a bona fide construction cost. So I don't see that as a red flag. So my suggestion, and I know you are uh, really at the mercy of HUD. Uh, I understand that. But my suggestion and request to you, and this is just personal because we haven't heard from the other commissioners yet, that you put that in as a line item on the construction, that being the 52,000, 
as the lowest uh, formulation of the tree replacement cost. If you put that in and submit that as part of your budget, I don't see that as a red flag. And Sarah, I defer to you. You have much more experience in seeking uh, uh, loans from HUD and approval from HUD than I do. But it is legit. I mean, this is an, an honest to God construction cost that we apply to everybody, uh, not for profits and, and for profits as well. So that, that would be my suggestion, but I'm, uh, I, I would like very much to hear from the other commissioners and of course the butters and, and uh, members of the public as well. Um, I, would any commissioners like to speak or be heard or make a suggestion? I'm trying to get this project done. I, I, we, we want it to move forward. We don't want to be an obstacle. We want to be a, a you know, sort of a, a catalyst for getting it done. Any thoughts, Todd? I just I see you on the screen. I'm not trying to put you under the limelight. I'm thinking. Okay. Give me a minute. All right. Um, anybody else? Uh, um, Tom Tom Palmer, I've lost you. Where are you? Have we lost him, Steve? I can't see Tom. Oh, we don't see him. Arthur? I see him either. I don't see him. I think we lost him. Well, what what triggers the threshold if you add 50,000 to the application? I don't know anything about HUD because I've never done one. I'm just asking the question. Since we're in a competitive, it's a competitive thing that we're in. And essentially you just want the, um, you just want the best application essentially. So I understand that's a, it's a legitimate construction cost and I can appreciate that but every amount that we can whittle down you know off our those types of construction makes it a better more feasible project now did we count the trees back in that they're going to put in the replication to take off the list yes that's already been credited uh, because I think the planning board required that you put in a, a like a, a buffer a tree buffer uh, between the, the the new building six and uh, some of the neighbors. So the, all of the landscaping uh, trees have been counted and netted out against uh, the, the yeah, removal. You said landscaping, but down in the replication we were there, we were talking about adding a lot of trees in there too. I, don't, I, don't, I don't think you can add a lot of trees and if, if you're gonna be well, creating the wetlands. Ned, when we were there, didn't we talk about trees going along like the Canton Ave wall and stuff near the replication? Didn't that come up? I think there was some discussion about it, but nothing that was okay. Nothing that was that was sort of firm. There was some concerns about whether the angle of the sun would be such that they might have a difficulty in surviving. Um, we'd certainly seek a credit against dollars for any trees that we could add in that location. Um, Absolutely, Ned, you're 100% correct on that. So, well, I mean, my opinion, John, and again, it's only my opinion, at this point, if that would actually blow it up for them, I, I would have to say I'm okay with it. With what? Not, to, not, not for them to have to put it in, because if that's gonna ruin the application and make those people not have houses to live in, that would bother me. I mean, we can get more trees other places. I, 
other pla- I'm not sure what you mean by other places being putting trees well, in other places. We're talking about money and what I call the. No, I know. Money. I'm saying, but we have so many trees from the tree bank and other things. Why couldn't we use that towards it? Towards what? The tree bank. We have all the trees that and the money that's been put in tree bank. Couldn't we put that towards this? Fair question. I'm not sure, Arthur, do you have any thoughts on this? You're on mute, Arthur. That's sometimes a very good thing. Um, <laughs> I didn't hear what you sure, said, Arthur. I just want to make sure that I understand Todd's uh, point correctly. Uh, Todd, you're saying that um, we would use uh, Conservation Commission resources in partnership essentially with Winter Valley um, by eliminating the uh, $52,000 requirement. Well, what I'm saying is we take some of the money or trees that are in the tree bank and add it to it. Okay, the same same thing. Arthur, you said eliminate the 52 they <laughs> don't give uh, away the farm out that they've already offered thirteen thousand two hundred and sixty dollars no so, I, I, I know i know <laughs> I, I was just wanting to make sure that i understood exactly what uh todd was saying i'm not taking the thirteen thousand plus off the table by any means okay all right so yeah yeah saying i wanted to ask one other question and that is um whether Winter Valley had any had access to any financial resources outside of the project for the cost of tree replication. We didn't we did not seek any anything further. This kind of came up at the end. Can you take town money slash resources? Now that's maybe a Kevin Freytag uh, question. I'm not sure, uh, but can you take town resources and devote it to a, a non-type, albeit a not-for-profit, with public benefit and make a contribution to a a, now, a non-public entity? That's a good question, John. I had written um, that down. Uh, Interestingly enough, about three minutes or four minutes ago, checking with town council on this for his advice. I would, uh, my own experience in state government would would tend to say that you couldn't fund directly, um, but that you could, you could use those funds to produce as, as a credit to produce and and you replace trees in other locations. You could alloc- you could allocate a credit. Wendy, any thoughts um, uh, either on the, their proposition, my re- my reaction, Todd's reaction, Arthur's reaction? Um. Yes. Thank you, John. I I have a question um, for you, Sarah. If that's okay, Mr. Chairman. Oh, sure. Okay. Um, Sarah, I'm I'm wondering if um, well, if, if I'm understanding you correctly, you you are um, you are saying that 
you're reluctant to include the cost of um, tree replication as a, as a um, construction cost in your loan application. Um, and I'm wondering if that concern and hesitation is um, based on precedents that you've seen from other applications for similar loans for similar projects. Proposals um, similar to this, but we are working with consultants and their feedback around this is it's a very, it's a large number to add on as a construction cost. HUD really looks for very streamlined um, applications that are very straightforward because essentially their funds are limited and they wanna award funds to projects that are going to succeed. So um, if they went into the details and unearthed that it was this large fee to remove trees, it could potentially raise a red flag with them. Um, in addition to you know, the, wet, the wetland relocation. So we're already dealing with these two things. There's other applications that are there that are more straightforward and they could just pass on ours. It's not, we won't be negotiating with them. We'll be turning in an application and they'll be saying yes or no. There's no back and forth. There's no questions. It's just a yes or no. Sorry, if I could ask you that, how do you apply what you just said to the planning board requiring you to plant trees to, to shade or to screen uh, surrounding houses? Isn't that a, a landscape cost that you have incurred and submitted yes. to HUD? Yes, and I think that HUD would view that as reasonable. I think probably every application would have some, in our setting like this, would have some cost for screening. I think that would be anticipated. Right. But, I, an addition, but an additional 75,000 or 50,000 for tree replication would probably be deemed somewhat unusual. What, what if it were, um, I mean, you're taking a wetland which would otherwise be unbuildable. Why isn't that analogous to a cost of new land? <laughs> It could be, it, they very well could look at it like that. But as I said, I'm not gonna be involved in any back and forth with HUD. We're just looking to put together the most streamlined, straightforward application that makes sense to them. Well, how is it that you came up with the 13,300 and uh, whatever it was, $13,260? Where did, where did that come from? What's it based on? That it's, was my calculus based on a, if we said, if we applied $10 per inch, caliper inch in the Delta. So if we had 13,126 13, inches in the Delta of inches that would be not replaced. And we said $10 an inch, $13,000, $13,260. That's, that's not an insignificant sum of money. And the big picture associated with the volume of trees that are coming out, I know that it sort of pales to the total, but it's a but it's a it's not a small number, and, and it's one that uh, we think we can uh, we can deal with um, in a construction budget um, 
without raising a question about well, why is the construction budget this as opposed to what may otherwise seem more appropriate. So. Thank you, Tom Palmer. I we lost you for a while, but did you have any thoughts or comments? Um, yeah, sorry to have dropped out. I I have a power strip under my desk, and sometimes I kick it the wrong way and turn off my computer. That's what I did. Um, <clears throat> at any rate, uh, I'm interested in this debate, and um, I think the puzzle is: yes, a lot of trees are coming out. Yes, we have. Uh, rule of thumb about replacing trees when they're lost to a project. Uh, and uh, I don't think we're applying that rule of thumb. We're saying, well, this is this project is a little different. It's had an extreme impact, and yet it's a nonprofit or a, in some respects. So perhaps we should be willing to vary our standard a little bit on its behalf. But then the question would be, how do we vary it? And how does that variation relate to our standard? And I haven't really worked that out in my own mind from this debate. Um, all right, I'm, I'm concerned with the uniformity of our application. And if we take a nonprofit, then what happens when Curry College comes back to us with their next project? Do we apply it in the same fashion or Milton Academy? Uh, we've got a number of schools and not-for-profits of the Eustace Estate, uh, New England Historical Society, uh, trustees of the reservation. Um, that, that's, that's my concern, but I'm trying to be creative. John? Yes. Um, a question, um, Ms. Sarah, if I may. It, um, and maybe Sarah and uh, Ned, uh, has there been a determination of the cost of the screening required by the planning board? Um, Jim DeVellis, do you have a number on that? Uh, we, we did. Uh, Thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman, for the record. Uh, J James DeVellis, I'm a uh, professional civil engineer with DeVellis Serene. Um, yeah, we originally did a design uh, to support a building that is abutting residential, um, going through a special permit process. So we put in um, what we thought was a fair number of trees. Uh, go and then once we got into the planning board, they looked at that. And, um, and then we also talked to one of the abutters so two, two items that came to uh, discussion. One was the type of trees. So we, we tweaked that a little bit and we went from, um, well, went from pines to deciduous and mixed them all in there. And then they asked for a, just a few extra just on the corner of the property. So there wasn't a tremendous amount of additional trees to screen the abutters over and above what we normally would do when we picked up you know, regulations and looked at setbacks and things like that. We were tight to that residential side. So we put a little bit more there just because that's what the kind of regulations dictated. Uh, but on the tree uh, removal and replacement, um, I'll be quite honest with you, I just, there, there were no regulations written to start off on any of the, what we're talking about now on replacement of calipers or costs. So I didn't get, I didn't get into this until probably the, the first, uh, the tail end of the first 
conservation commission meeting when this was brought up. But how, how many trees though? I mean, if, if they were netted out, you've got to have a number. Because uh, Ned, I, I think in Ned's proposal to us, you netted out and the Delta was 1326. Yeah, so what, what, what I, um, sure. What I, what I did is I prepared a summary chart that said, that broke it down into four areas. One was tree removal with, and these are all areas within the hundred foot buffer. So a lot of those trees that are in the corner are outside of the hundred foot buffer. Um, so we broke it up into tree removal in the hundred foot buffer for the tree, for the building and the parking area. Then we broke it down to the trees in the additional um, uh, replication area down by the street. And then we put a number together for the tree replacement in the building area and then the tree replacement in the wetland replication area. So the tree removal in the building area was 1422 inches. And what we're replacing is, uh, is 284 inches. And that, that represents 68 trees and 121 shrubs. Mr. Chairman? Yes. What I'm looking for is the financial value of the screening. No, I know that. I know that was the question, but I, I think we can come up with it. If you're talking about 68 trees, that's 34,000. Now, I understand I just went over that very quickly, Jim, and because and yeah. you did say shrubs as well. It was 68 trees plus a number of shrubs that I didn't factor in. The shrubs we yeah. divide by six, and you could add for every six shrubs, you could add a tree. But I think, Arthur, that answers your question. If you have got 68 trees, that's $34,000. It, it, it comes close, um, except for the shrubs, which yes. we could translate into trees as well. Correct. On the ratio that you were talking about, if my math is working, and that's always an F, um, we've come up with uh, $53,000. Uh, there's 13,000 that's offered here. That leaves a difference of $40,000. We have a minimal cost estimate for the screening of $34,000. So we're talking in my math about an additional uh, uh, $6,000 gap. Arthur, I confess you lost me on, on the, on I, the I followed him. He, he signed about the 13,000 they're applying into it, plus the 34,000 for the trees that they're putting in for the planning board. Right. Right. But the 34,000 has already been netted out. Those 68 trees have already been netted out. That's the 1422 minus 284. So those, that, those 68 trees are the 284. But I think I think at the same we may be talking apples to oranges because these trees aren't trees that are just against a, an abutters property line. These are in the parking islands. These are in the front of the building. Oh, that's fine. You you yeah. can you can plant them anywhere you want, anywhere in the property. And we're looking for trees. We're not looking for money. <laughs> if you had more room to plant them, we'd be thrilled. Mm -hmm. We're not looking for money. Uh, we're we're just looking for the tree replacement component. But Arthur, I I I. I I, I think I see what you're doing, but I, I do question the math in terms of counting those 68 trees. They've already been counted. So, um, Wendy, any thoughts? Um, 
yeah, uh, yes, Mr. Chairman, I, I'm I'm having a hard time getting um, getting past what I I think I heard you say, Sarah, which was um, if you could just confirm um, you're saying that that um, um, based on the information that you were given by your consultants, um, they uh, you think that that the construction costs um, that were um, the result of planning board regulations would be acceptable to HUD, but yet the construction costs relative to the um, regulations for the Conservation Commission would not be okay by HUD. Did I understand that correctly? I'm not sure if okay is the right word. When you are in construction, I think it's anticipated that you provide screening around a building. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that a tree replacement, um, and as I understand it, it's an unwritten policy, um, would might be if it's if we have to break it out as a separate line item, it might raise a flag to HUD um, as to what that is. So we're just trying to create just a very straightforward proposal to HUD. I think we want to work with the commission and we did try to make a kind of a reasonable offer um, that we think is logical uh, for our application. Um, I do understand where the commission is coming from, but we're just trying to just make a very streamlined, um, understandable application. Let me ask the, the question that's the elephant in the room. Are we negotiating here about a dollar amount? I mean, you, you said you could sell the 13,000. You say you can't sell the 52. Is there a number that you'd be comfortable with in between? And just put aside for the minute how we would, could possibly justify it. Uh, it, it might be, um, you know, some kind of a, a credit from the, or a contribution from the Conservation Commission from a tree bag. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think that can be done, but I, I'll defer to Kevin Freytag on that one. Um, but let's put it aside for the minute. Is there some other number that's out there that you would be comfortable submitting it to? Because it, in, my, in my world, and I live in a world of negotiation, um, HUD wouldn't say no. They'd say, well, take out your shop pencils and cut this back, cut that back, and negotiate uh, the price that they would fund. But I might be entirely wrong. You you said it's a it's a yes or no to the application. Yeah, it's not. It's an application for grants. It's not a it's not a negotiation. We're going to present them with an application, um, along with probably hundreds of others vying for the same funds, and they're going to go through it line you know line item. They're going to be looking at reasonable construction costs. They're going to be. Um, you know, they're, they're looking for the zoning, the permitting, they're looking for a successful project all wrapped up, presented to them. Um, so that's what we're trying to present. Um, Mr. Chairman? Yes. I, I thought you were asking if the negotiation was not with HUD, but rather between the 13,000 and the 53,000. You are correct. That's what I did ask, but I also asked whether or not 
there would be, and I think Sarah uh, answered my question about whether or not it's a yes or no from HUD, as right. opposed to uh, a negotiation and take out your sharp pencils and, and uh, cut your budget here and there. Um, and I think, I assume that you have a real advantage on your proposal with HUD because you've got no acquisition costs, which could run into millions for, you know, for some of your competitors. But putting that aside, go back to the first question I had that Arthur just restated, and that is there some number, and again, leave aside you know, how we could be creative and, and handle the differential between whatever that number is in 52, is there a number between $13,260 and $52,000 and change? I, the number that we presented, um, I think it's well thought out. Um, Ned did a lot of kind of creative thinking around it. I think it's a solid proposal. It's, it's something that may not add a lot to a line item, may not raise any eyebrows. Um, I'm, that's the number that I'm comfortable with. Can I, can I make a suggestion, just a, a, another way to think of this? So from an engineering perspective, looking back at the different areas that we were looking to do replication, we could have put the replication area in the back corner of the property. Um, we went through a process, uh, a, a collaborative process as we could do better. We could do it there, but there's a better opportunity to benefit the town by putting it someplace else. We probably cut down the same amount of trees, whether we do it in the back corner or on the front, but what you get in the front is not just wetland replication. You've got probably twice the area that you get in the back we have to put in an extensive um, weir system, a four bay, riprap, all of that stuff at a cost of almost $100,000 that we're doing in the front, that most of that would not be required in the back. So at the end of the day, what you get is you get a replication area that's larger than it needs to be on a, on a two to one replication. Um, I, I think, Jim, not to interrupt you, I think it's it's one to one. And, and we went through this in minute detail at our last meeting. I don't think it is a two to one. What, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm talking about the entire area that we're, that we're working in in the front. We're, we're creating a stormwater detention basin in the front plus the replication, which requires the weir and the forebay and the riprap and all that stuff not to support just the replication area uh, or the effort but to support enhancing all of the water quality that's coming from our site, from the abutter site and from the street. So I, I guess I'm a little long-winded, but the point is what the town gets out of this in lieu of the payments that we are coming uh, towards trying to figure out is they get a much better product that supports water attenuation, water quality, TSS removal that you would ever get with just a replication area. And that, that effort is costing, uh, and that's what Beals and Associates had presented, is close to $100,000. That is a construction cost. And that goes into the into the construction budget, which also has to go to HUD. Well, at the risk of sounding rational, can you give us the difference between the cost of replication? And I, I don't think it's a two-to-one that you're doing uh, based on our last discussion, but whatever the cost of the required replication upland or uh, up closer to where the, uh, uh, the building is going 
versus the 94,000 or whatever, 93,000, whatever the cost is. I know you've rounded it to 100. Yeah. That may be yeah. it, but it's, it's in that vicinity. What would be the yeah. difference between the cost of doing it elsewhere and I that? Think, yeah, I think, I think it would easily be over half. I mean, uh, Devin Howe's on the, uh, on the call as well, but if you look at the cost estimate they did, it's a tremendous amount of volume of soil you're taking out. So the trees are probably the same, right? Assuming that they're the same area, you're getting down some significant trees in there. But you're, you're, you're going down four feet to create an area for wetlands in the front. You're putting in an outlet control structure, weir. You're putting riprap. Um, so I, I would say easily over half. So if we're budgeting, I think Devin's number was somewhere between 90 and 100,000. Half of that is the additional cost necessary for the additional stormwater attenuation, having wetland area keeping the same. And they keep, John, they're keeping a lot of silt by putting that in down front. Look at all the silt that we saw running in that place now. True. Yeah. And not, then, not, not to be facetious, that's got to be corrected anyway. That, that's a problem. But yeah. I, I, I understand what you're saying, Jim, and I, I, I think that's a point well taken. Thank you. And just to add, Devin Howe from Beals Associates, um, adding to what Jim said, I was, I've been listening this whole time and kind of taking some notes. So Jim was spot on. It's probably about half. Um, if you if you completely take away the earthwork, it's about um, half the value up top in the upland area. Um, obviously, you know the the issue with up there is you know now we're dealing dealing with those same large diameter trees. Um, I think they're also um, understand the the chair's concern about counting the um the the cost of the wetland replication area down um near uh canton avenue but when we originally developed our plan um our wetland replication plan adjacent to canton avenue um we actually considered um the entire isolated vegetated wetland um up behind uh the proposed building as being disturbed, uh, just to provide a, you know, a more conservative approach um, to the town in the case that that wetland, once that building's constructed, um, would would dry out uh, over the years. So, with that considered, we assumed the full, uh, I think it's about 5,700 square feet of the isolated um, vegetated wetland up there would be destroyed. In reality. There's about, about 1,500 square feet of wetlands, of that isolated wetlands um, that's not being disturbed as part of this construction. Um, it's being left in its natural state um, and either the, the uh, remaining isolated wetland can either thrive um, or potentially um, dies out in the years to come. Um, that 1,500 square feet represents about 25% uh, of the total wetland area. <clears throat> Where I'm going with this is that 25% of that isolated vegetated wetland that remains, when you apply that to our total construction costs that we estimate down um, at Canton Avenue, it's about $24,000. I'm sorry, say that last piece one more time. What's about 24,000? 
So if the, the remaining, we are leaving about. Um, the 1,500, I, I understand yeah, everything so you the, said. The, in the that 1,500 area. square feet of wetland that's remaining up top, undisturbed, I represents 25% of that wetland up there that we're leaving. But however, we are accounting for and reconstructing um, down at Canton Avenue. If we were to just remove that piece down at Canton Avenue from our replication costs, it could potentially reduce those fees by about $24,000. So if we only replicated what's actually being disturbed behind building six, we would save $24,000 on construction costs. And when you say that, are you combining your restoration with your replication? And for the record, they are different. The, the replication is what I'm just got talking about right now. And, and what's your replication amount? We, we went through this at the last meeting and I thought it was pretty close to one-to-one. -one. Well, the, it, it, it is. That's my memory is correct. Yes. The, All right, well, well, let's, let's go back because I, I know what you just said about the 24,000, but what I'd, I'd like to do is get an actual dollar figure because there may be a way out of this morass here. If you were to replicate the approximately a little less than 5,000 square feet where building six is going, if you were to do that elsewhere uh, in sort of the, the, the back of your property, what would the cost of that be compared to the 94, whatever it is? And I know the 100 may include some O&M uh, plans uh, in the future. Uh, I think there was an allocation for that, but I thought the replication was like 94,000. Um, what would the cost of replicating Jesse on a one-to-one -one basis at the somewhere else on the property? If you took out the earthwork that we have to do, it would be about half the cost. So the earthwork represents about 50% of the cost for the replication area down in Canton Avenue. If it were to be done somewhere else, it likely wouldn't require such a, such an extensive earthwork. Okay. So if it were, uh, whatever, 47,000 or so? So it's half the 94? Yes. So I, again, I don't think that the that the town, the Conservation Commission, can make a, a donation, even though you're a not for profit. But I do think we could, you know, we could work on a credit. Um, so I'm just now I'm doing the Arthur Doyle kind of math here in front of me. But if half of the 94 is 47, and that would be your cost to replicate it, which would be acceptable to us elsewhere in your property. Um, that and, and now you're enhancing the benefit to the town in the amount of 47,000. That's getting powerfully close to the 52 we're looking for. What would happen if, if in addition to the 13,260, you added uh, $5,000 and came up with 18,260? And the way I got there is the, the uh, 47,000 is a credit against the, the 52. Um, 
John, that's the basis of my, what I was saying all the way back at the start without putting numbers to it. But I would make a strong recommendation to the client that they accept that additional uh, $5,000 difference as an as additional component of funds to be paid to the town. I think it's I think it's 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 within the ballpark of what we had proposed. I think it's a reasonable uh, outcome. I think it gives a reasonable amount of credit for the enhanced value coming to the town associated with the with the water quality enhancement, et cetera, being performed by that wetland replication area. And I would recommend that that, that if that's acceptable, the commission that it be, would be an acceptable number to the um, to the to the to the client for this purpose. What say commissioners? What we're doing is it, what I'm trying to do is preserve our the uniformity uh, of our precedent, uh, so that we we don't change our the application of the performance standard to all applicants, but we do acknowledge and grant a credit for the enhanced value of the replication. That and Ned, I, I you are correct. You did say that at the beginning, uh, so I appreciate that. And I'm sorry to draw this out so long, but what what's the response to that? So that you would increase um, your offer to eighteen two sixty, and we would make a uh, the the difference in a credit uh, for the replication area. Yeah, I think that the commission would be uh, acknowledging the value of that of the the credit in the replication area, acknowledging the benefit that's coming to the town that is over and above what would otherwise have been associated with a simple replication up in the area of building six. The replication, replication area is being, is being developed on town property to be maintained in perpetuity by Winter Valley and it's providing uh, enhanced values associated with stormwater, et cetera, coming off of uh, Canton Avenue and other abutting properties. Tom Palmer, what say you, sir? Um, if I understand you, John, the the figures you drew out, you focused on the difference between the cost of the replication that's planned versus uh, sort of a more direct replication at the rear of the property that would include the earth moving that Devin mentioned. So you said that that replication would cost half of what the actual replication is going to be co costing. And we can take that half and call it a credit. That, that's what your argument is, right? Well, it, it is, but you are correct. I, I did some uh, new math, so to speak there, because I, I know I added the 5,000 to the 13 that was already existing and the difference between 52 and 47 is five. So you're right. I, I did do that, yeah. Tom. <laughs> I didn't well, that. Yeah, I, <laughs> you didn't either. <laughs> to me, it sort of makes sense in a lawyerly way. Um, yeah, I have other thoughts about it, though. Uh, for instance, if you were to do the replication in the rear, you're going to take more of those very big, tall trees and get more in the red about the tree replacement. Um, you are correct. This is yeah, just a hypothetical, uh, conceptual kind of credit. Not that I don't think it's a good idea to go to the front and do it, but that work in the front is really trying to make up for work that didn't meet the standard. Like I would like to ask the engineers here, 
that's a four and a half foot outfall coming out of that headwall, and a lot of water comes out of that. Now, that would not be permitted under today's stormwater standards, correct? Correct. Yeah, so when was it built? When did the standards come in effect? The, the stormwater regulations came in effect uh, well after this was permitted. I obviously wasn't involved back in the 70s and 80s when they did this, but the best management practices today with TSS removal and storm scepters were just not around. So that's why you see abutting properties, you see um, two large outfalls, and then you also see a lot of the town drainage going in there with no attenuation at all. So back in the day, that's what was allowed. It, that headwall looks pretty new, though. It's like it's a big squared off concrete. So I would guess it's, well, when was Winter Valley built to begin with? Sarah, do you know? Yeah, so Winter Valley was 1980, was the first phase. I see. And sometime between that date and now, the standard was imposed that says the post-construction discharge rate shall not exceed the pre-construction discharge rate. That is the standard that would have tripped up that outfall. So all I'm saying is, yes, we're getting a mitigation credit or money, but we're just trying to fix damages done by the same development, so to speak. So we're already a little behind the eight ball. Again, not to say that this isn't a very appropriate thing to do, but I have one one other thought about the replication in that. I'm uh, dubious that you can guess how far to excavate and get a wetland when you're done for sure. In other words, I think that area will be wet or not, depending on not the water that comes out of the headwall, but the surrounding groundwater levels. So when you excavate, you would want to guess that you will dig deep enough to get into that groundwater, but without making a basin that water can't get out of. So I'm just, all I'm saying, this is a, a side observation. I am skeptical that you will guess right the first time that you excavate and you will have a wetland when you're done. And if we say to you then, well, you didn't get an actual wetland when you replicated, we want you to come back and get a right how much money is that going to add to the project? And will you be able to afford it? These are just thoughts that are in my mind. I don't, I don't have any objection to the proposal that John is making. I think it's sensible. Wendy, any thoughts from you? Um, I. I, uh, I'm delighted that we were able to come up with something that seems agreeable to everyone. I agree with you, Wendy. Awesome. I'm in agreement too, but I just want to uh, make sure that I have this right. Um, $47,000 is the credit. Well, that, it's a soft one because I did right. add the five, which is a different, but I added it to the, I, I, the pre-existing 13,260. Right, so you added the 47 to the 13. No, I added five to the 13, 260 to come up with 18, 260. That would be cost a, for that would be a tree replacement. 
That would be a cash payment. That would be a cash payment. Thirteen, yes. eighteen thousand two sixty would be the amount of cash to be paid into the town's tree fund. None of any additional trees if we could replace plant some in the area of the replication area. But eighteen thousand two sixty, yes, is the amount of money that will be paid to the town. And that's acceptable. Um, I think that's a fair resolution. I'm okay with that. All right, and I, I know that uh, uh, I don't I don't see Hans, and I don't see Ingrid, uh, but it looks like we're heading towards a consensus on this. Are there um, abutters or members of the public that would like to ask a question or make a comment? I don't see any hands, but I may not be able to see everybody anyway. Steve, can you see any hands? No, you're on mute, Steve, if you're, trying, if you're saying anything. Uh, no, I cannot, John. All right, then. Uh, is there a motion then to um, approve the order of condition? Now, we've got, you know, we've got a lot of uh, uh, conditions that were discussed at our last meeting, um, but I think the focus uh, of our discussion tonight was to see if we could get the tree survey done and the replacement uh, done in addition to that which we had already discussed, which was the uh, wetlands replication on the town land. Uh, uh, Arthur, do you know whether or not that requires any further action by the select board to have it done on the town land? I, Arthur, you're on mute, so I can't, we can't hear you. I'm sorry about that. Uh, we had some uh, noise in the background here. Um, I don't have an answer specific to that, but I think it would be wise to bring it to the select board. My understanding is that the select board would have to issue a license to allow the work to be done on the property that's under its jurisdiction. I've had a preliminary conversation with town council about what that might need to look like, and I've reached out to uh, Nick Milano, who's the town administrator, for an opportunity to come back to the select board uh, at a meeting in January to discuss that. All right, that would be January 18th. Is that what you talked about, Ned? Yeah, yeah. yes. Okay. That makes sense. All right, good, because I just don't want to you know, issue a, a permit that uh, on somebody else's land. Um, so that, that that all makes sense. So given that, uh, is there a motion to approve with our other previously discussed conditions? Uh, approval of the tree replacement and replication plan as discussed tonight, uh, including uh, the contribution for the tree replacement of uh, $18,260. Um, and then uh, uh, that would include a, a credit from the um, conservation the, the the replication costs uh, that uh, I guess we could term as an, an additional benefit above the the normal replication costs to the town, so that we are giving that credit uh, towards the tree replacement uh, fund as well. I know that was pretty inarticulate, but the bottom line is it's eighteen thousand two sixty in cash and a credit for. Uh, the additional benefits for the replication in the locus um, that uh, we've identified on town. Well, did you want to hear anything, uh, John? Added subject to select board 
Yes, of course. Okay. Right. Does that is that does that create a problem for you, Ned or Sarah? Because I know you have to have everything in hand. Uh, the thirteenth is that right? No, it's 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 a little later than that. It's the third week of January. Um, let me put it this way: if if we can't get select board approval to do the work, then we have to then we have to start over. I think what I've suggested to the planning board and its deliberations, and I suggest to you in your deliberations that you each have your own um, uh, jurisdictions and that we can accept votes that are related to each's jurisdiction and that we will have to secure permission from the select board to actually do the work when the time, when the time comes. I don't think that is specifically, that's not a, a, a permit and approval requirement under the HUD application process. It's, it's simply a, 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 an approval that we'll have to secure uh, in order to be able to do the work. At a subsequent date. Correct. And I, so I would request that you not make it conditioned upon, make it a condition of the, of your, uh, of the, of the order of conditions here. But we all understand that I, that is a condition of the town that we would have to get the town permission to do work. I'm just concerned that we won't be through that door in time. In time, no. I, yeah, I understand exactly uh, what you're saying. Are you okay with that? Uh, Arthur, for the select board? Uh, I just wanted to add that there is a select board meeting on the 3rd of January. I don't know, Ned, if Nick mentioned that to you. Um, I can be there. Pardon? We can be there. Okay. And, and that might give us two meetings. We'd be, we haven't posted yet. We'll be posting in the morning tomorrow. Okay. I think by noon. So we would need to get that added to the agenda that we wrapped up today. So I will I'll wire Nick Milano uh, right after this meeting and um, ask that he be um, in touch with you. And John, are you available on the third? Yes. Okay. Okay, I'll take care of that right after this meeting. Terrific. Perfect. All right. With that said, then, is there a motion to uh, approve the order of conditions with the uh, special conditions that have been mentioned? This is such an order. I'm so moved. All right. Thanks, Tom. Is there a second? Todd, Aye. thank you very much for second. Uh, any discussion among commissioners? Hearing none, it'll be a roll call vote. Todd, how do you vote? Yes. Arthur Doyle, how do you vote? Yes. Wendy, how do you vote? Yes. Tom, how do you vote? Yes. And I, John Kiernan, vote yes as well. That's unanimous. So thank you very much for your patience with the process and good luck with HUD. I have uh, one more question. I didn't mean to interrupt, but sure. just one more question about this. Um, we saw the trees when we went to site visit that are going to come down behind the existing buildings. And some of those white pines were like the tallest and straightest you can find anywhere in town, probably 80, 100 years old, really big and tall. Those Trees were extremely valuable once upon a time for uh, the Royal Navy. What are they worth now? Who's taking them out and what's going to happen to them? I'm just curious. Is somebody going to sell those trees? Because it seems to me there's hard to find trees that are more likely to have value. But I'm not a lumber expert. 
by any means. So I just ask anybody here knows the answer to that. Yeah, it's it's there's no money in it, Tom, because the time you pay to take it down and truck it away, the machinery and the trucking eats up the the uh, value of the trees. That's become a big problem when you clear a site. You you do have to remove it anyways, and you do you, you might do just, yeah. There, there's nobody. What they do is it. they cut them up and they chip them. Once you cut them down to a certain length, the value is not so great. Yeah, and they All cut right, them well, down to fit them in the trucks. I got it. Yeah, it's too bad because you can build. No, I understand what you're saying. I get yeah, it. Pine is good wood. Um, it's sad to think that those trees are going to go to waste. But next item. <laughs> um, <laughs> thanks, I, thanks, Mr. Chairman. The Royal Navy's loss. Mr. Chairman, yeah, uh, we're going to be looking for broad axe marks on some of those trees, right, Tom? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Mr. Chairman, if I may, um, I'll try a meeting tomorrow with uh, Nick. As I said, I'll get to him tonight. Ned, uh, are you available if necessary by phone tomorrow morning? Sure. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you. Great. Uh, if you could just stay away from 11 o'clock, I, I do have an 11 o'clock meeting, but other than that, I'm free all day. 5 to 11. Okay. Thanks. Great. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank right. you all. Thank you all. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Next on the agenda is number two, Notice of Intent at 16 Armour Road. Thank you for your patience. All. Jesse, uh, yes. good to see you again. Good evening, Mr. Chair, members of the commission. Uh, we're glad to be before you and happy holidays to everyone. Um, we, we appreciate your time tonight and hearing us again on, on short notice. Um, the way we left the hearing, um, Mr. Chair, at the last hearing was uh, the commissioners requested some additional time to review our stormwater management report, uh, as well as the peer review materials that were filed with the Zoning Board of Appeals by their peer review consultant in, in the, the, the board's review of this project under the town's wetlands uh, protection bylaw, uh, as well as the, the town engineer's comments and, and feedback, and that was provided to the commission since the last hearing. So um, we're here tonight, Mr. Chair, to answer any questions that the commissioners may have about that, that topic. And uh, to that end, I'm joined tonight by Phil Cordero of Allen & Major, uh, as well as Joe Tamposi uh, from, the, uh, from the client and, and ownership. So um, if, if there are any questions, we're, we're certainly happy to entertain them, Mr. Chair. That's great, Jesse. Thank you very much. And, and welcome to Phil and to Joe as well. Um, I, I do have some questions that I think if, if you recall, or perhaps if I recall correctly, my concern at the end of last meeting was number one, I hadn't read the drainage report. And number two, I was concerned with um, any potential runoff uh, to Brush Hill Road or uh, Truman Highway um, because we had had another project on, on Truman Highway. And that, it, it was an issue there where there was runoff, you know, it was uh, sheet flowing. It wasn't the groundwater breakout, but it was sheet flowing onto the highway and uh, the concern was freezing. So what I did is, as I read uh, the, the very thorough uh, report that uh, the drainage report that accompanies the notice of intent. And I, and I do have some questions for you. And it relates to, um, if you could go to the drainage report, Phil, I, I think you can probably find this pretty quickly. Um, uh, pages 3.2 and 3.3 in the proposed stormwater patterns. 
and I don't know if you have to screen share or, and I, and I don't know if Steve is able to do this, but I compared what I read with, uh, at the back of the report, there are three engineering reports and the engineering reports uh, showed me two things. And I, can, I think I can do this verbally without looking at them, but I will make reference to them. Uh, one was that the, uh, um, the elevation changes, and I know there are four watersheds, uh, at least in the area. And if you look at the, the O&M, O&M 1 is the first sheet that I have there. And you'll see at the end of, at, on the left-hand side, adjacent to Brush Hill Road, there's a water quality structure, CDS 1515-3 unit, deep sump hooded catch basin. And then to the left of that, as you look at the engineering diagram, there's essentially what is our jurisdictional land there. I mean, it's not, I know it's not ours, but it's, it's jurisdictional. Um, and then I went to the next sheet, which is, I think it's an EWS. And that shows some pretty significant uh, elevation changes. So I, I'm looking uh, in, in the, the, the largest watershed there. It goes from 59 feet to 46 feet. So it's a 13 foot drop as it goes towards Brush Hill Road, which is where our jurisdictional land is. And it's also that which abuts Brush Hill Road. Now, the, there's the other one that goes from 62 feet to, to 50 feet. So that's a pretty big elevation change, but that goes towards Armour Road. And then I went to, I looked at that, and then I went back and I, I read, um, if you go to page 3-3, at the top of the page, uh, there's only one bullet there, but it's, the first one is a continuation. The second one begins watershed P4. And the, the last line of that paragraph says, stormwater runoff will be directed along the base of the wall to a grass swale and flow towards Brush Hill Road. And it seems that the area in looking at the, the first engineering plan that I directed you to, that that is all on the river side of the catch basin. And you're capturing water, anything that's not captured by the catch basin. And certainly all of the sheet flow on the jurisdictional land is gonna be directed towards uh, Brush Hill Road. And I, I did get concerned reading this. Uh, and I see right below that, that there is no net increase, but that's, that's offsite to the municipal drainage system. I'm, I'm not talking about what's going offsite to the drainage system. I'm talking about what's going offsite on the surface. Um, and it looks like all of that water with a 13 foot drop, that's a, that's a lot of velocity. Granted, most of it should be captured, but not all of it. So I'm, I'm pretty concerned with this uh, stormwater runoff will be directed along the base of the wall to a grass swale and flow towards Brush Hill Road. Can you explain to me how that works and then why I shouldn't be concerned with what I already stated was my concern that we're going to have water runoff on the Brush Hill Road and or Truman Highway. 
Mr. Chair, um, uh, for the record, Phil Cordero from Allen and Major Associates. I'm happy to elaborate on all of those points that you raised. Uh, if I could request, if uh, Steve could create screen sharing opportunities, let me share an image because then I think I can more graphically depict everything that you just summarized for all of us. Nope, I'm still disabled as host is disabled sharing. No luck, Steve. And you're on Steve. mute also, sir. Steve, it looks like you're talking, but we can't hear you. And yeah, no luck just yet. Okay. Had I been sharing my screen itself, had you seen the screen no. here at all? No. Oh, okay. Because I've been I've been going to those pages that you referenced, John, as well. So I'm not sure that I have host privileges right now because there was a, there was a uh, follow-up at the very beginning with regard to uh, getting this on board itself tonight. So I am not sure um, if I can get you, let me see, waiting room, admit, uh invite no any idea what that what um what task on the zoom screen i can find to do that phil uh, it's it's usually at the bottom where you would screen share you would likely see a, a carrot an up arrow next to it okay. and it would say allow multiple participants to host i have just done that thank you very kindly there we go. Okay. Okay. Great. Thank you. That's helpful. Sure thing. Sure thing. Let me screen share and let me know when you, when everybody can see my screen. We can see it, Phil. Okay. Terrific. So let, let me just, I'll do it very, very quickly. Just reiterate some of your points. So this is one of the watershed maps um, that is included in the drainage report. So Brush Hill Road is on the left side of this plan. And what we talked about in the drainage report that Mr. Chairman summarized is we essentially, we have two watershed areas. And I'm just going to very crudely highlight them. And we'll make them just different colors here. And what's happening is the water within the first shaded area is headed in this direction towards Brush Hill Road. The yellow shaded area is actually, excuse me, is actually headed in this direction. So we'll focus obviously our, our, all of our conversation about what's going towards Brush Hill Road as being the largest concern, but we can of course talk about anything that you'd like. The long and the short of it is there is a catch basin right here. So that's what we have tagged as our, uh, as our design uh, runoff condition. So we've essentially said anything leaving the property 
ultimately goes to this catch basin. So that's how we are looking at it. So in the existing condition, the existing a portion of the house, which is here, the rear shed is here, the, the tree line is approximately here. Again, all of that runoff condition goes down to Brush Hill Road presently. And there is, there is a great delta, and let me just zoom in so you can see it, that it's approximately 59 at the highest point, and it's approximately 45 at the lowest point. So there is 15 feet from site to site, from the highest point to the low point. Uh, but, but the rubber meets the road when we flip over to the proposed condition plan, which again is also in the back of the report. What ultimately is going to happen is we are going to fully capture everything that we are developing on the property within this, these darkened lines. And these go to our underground stormwater systems. There's no release from the stormwater. So it's 100% containment. Everything is contained within the, within the surface. We're going to continue our grading. So we still have elevation of 59 here. And we are grading down through here to approximately elevation 52 at the low point. And at this point is where we would introduce, as discussed in the narrative, there is a retaining wall right along this edge of the townhomes and the duplexes. Let me see if I can sort of darken that up. I apologize. Uh, approximately here that will make up that difference. So on our site, it's essentially flat and then we would have a retaining wall. So the first thing I would want to take out is the perception that the site has dramatic grade change because that would, Mr. Chairman, create the velocity that you're concerned about. But because we're flattening our site, we are not adding velocity. And because we have 100% containment of the stormwater from the area above it, we're greatly eliminating a lot of the runoff that would go to Brush Hill Road. So what ultimately goes to Brush Hill Road at the end of the day is what we call this P4 watershed, which I'm outlining again here. And the P4 watershed is the vegetated area, very small area, it's about 7,500 square feet in size. So this is the, the remaining treed area that we're discussing. That swale that we're, we're talking about in the drainage report, all of our water continues in this fashion because we do need to drain it towards the natural, um, the, the naturally occurring drainage path, which is to the municipal drain basin here. And then there's a swale, again, a grass swale behind the townhomes. That water joins together and that's what goes off site. So if you, you referenced on page 3-3 in the drainage report, design point one, which we are calling it offsite to municipal drainage system because that's what actually goes here. But you can liken that to any water that leaves the property towards Brush Hill Road. That's what's happening. And the reductions are quite clear in terms of in the two, the 10, the 25 and 100 year flow, we have minimal flow leaving the site from in the 25 year and up event. And it's only from that vegetated area. So we are reducing all of the runoff water that's leaving to Brush Hill Road, which you are concerned about from an icing potential, uh, reducing the water and the volume of water, which you are concerned about from a flooding potential. And we're handling that differential entirely on our property within these two subsurface fields. Um, the, the next table down on the, uh, sheet 3-3 is table 3.2.b, 
that's the actual volume of water. If anybody cares about the volume, um, we reported in terms of acre feet under the first column being, being the existing and the proposed being uh, the second column. So we can convert that if you'd like to know what the cubic feet is. But you'll also note there that we are having a, a 60 plus percent reduction in the higher storm events. So 60 plus percent of the water that's going there now today is being eliminated and redirected elsewhere. Um, and that's, that's in the 100 year storm event, but that's 60%, it's 61 in the 10 year, 64 in the 25 year, and then 66% in the 100 year. Those are direct reductions in terms of what's going out to the street line now. And that same valuation is in the peak flow table, which we have 50% in the 25 year and 56% in the 100 year. Again, reductions, reduction of water, reduction of water volume. Um, to address those concerns. So hopefully that clarified it just a little bit. It, it, it is very helpful, Phil. Let me ask you, looking at the screen that you're sharing with us now, mm -hmm. where the, the, the swale uh, running laterally at the, the top of the property line there, correct, right there, mm -hmm. that, that arrow, and then the, the area at the, which I call out the jurisdictional land there, both of those arrows point towards the catch basin, which is the town drainage system. How does it get off the property to the drainage system? So it nat natural flow. So just to zoom in quite a little bit. Um, so let me just color on here some, some contouring. So the, the 45 elevation is approximately here. The 46 is approximately here. So that water flow is just natural surface water flow that now leaves the property right here. And it goes down, 44 goes over the curb into the gutter line into that catch basin. So my- is that, is that flowing on the surface or is that a pipe? It's on the surface. That is all surface water runoff from that area, from that surface swale. But is it, I mean, you've got water flowing from two directions. Mm -hmm. How, how do you direct it or how do you slow it down if it's all leaving the property at the same point? Is there some kind of a level spreader or how, how do you slow it down and how do you make sure it gets into the, the catch basin? So the second question, second question first, how do we make sure it gets into the catch basin? That's just based on the topography that we have from the verified on the ground survey. So we know that the ground slopes, again, just to re-highlight these, the ground slopes in this direction through here that when we did our analysis that water will follow perpendicular to the contours here enter into the street system which then follows the gutter line as we know based on the rim elevation of this catch basin so that's how we know that it gets there in terms of your question are we putting in a level spreader the answer is no because we have this area here okay which is, it's a naturalized area. It's not to be altered. We're not doing any grading in it. Obviously our darkened lines are the limit of our grading here, but we have what essentially equates to a natural level spreader of land in here that as the water aggregates, so again, I have a swale coming this way to here, and I'm sorry for all the lines, but I have a swale coming through here and I have this swale coming through here. So that water flow joins together through this naturalized land surface that removes the, the water velocity because we have the natural brush condition that exists in there before it actually leaves the property. And that's what slows it down. 
We don't actually have to build in a level spreader or a riprap dissipator pad, which are things you might see in other circumstances. Because this, the upstream areas, this is, this is all grass through here. This is all treed and vegetative underbrush. So you're not standing at the end of an open pipe. You're not looking at a free flowing garden hose where you have uh, columnar flows of water that have velocity and have flow. You're talking about flow across land where the land itself acts to slow that water down as it's moving through the vegetated surface. Why, you know, I, I, I heard you and Phil, you're as always very articulate, but I'm, I'm really hung up. That's a lot of water being directed there. And off to the right of the, you know, you focused in on that corner, which is exactly what I, I wanted you to do. Mm -hmm. But that's at 45 feet. The other end of that swale is about 62 feet. Mm -hmm. That's a big drop. Um, it, it, I mean, it is it, mathematically, of course, I'm not going to argue that. So our elevation of 62 is here and our elevation of 45 is here at the property line. So yes, there, there is an elevation change through here. But what's happening is we're, we are manipulating the grade through here. So it's not, it's not a very steep slope per se. Oh, hold on, you don't want it to flip screens. So what we have is we're manipulating the slope through here. So this is an average slope behind these townhomes, keeping in mind they're residential units. It gets slightly steeper between the units, as you can tell by how close the contours are to each other. And then again, uh, shallows out as you get behind the townhome units. And then again, the shallowed out area that naturally occurs through there. So while we do have 15 feet from here to here, just blanket math, we have a shallow slope, slightly steeper, followed by a shallow slope uh, and then followed by the final shallow slope that exists in here. And that all in total uh, uh, controls the overall velocity. Now, do I know what the exact velocity is here? I don't, if you ask me what that number is, I don't know what it is as I sit here this evening, but I do know that these conditions are quite common in terms of how you, you manage and construct the grass swale to control that runoff condition. Second question. Why wouldn't you put, uh, see where the X is with a circle around it, right in the mm -hmm. corner of the property, uh, right there. Yeah. Why wouldn't you put in a catch basin there and then direct it into the town system? Um, because wait, let, let, let me, let me stop you there because I should mm -hmm. put in context my question. Mm -hmm. When you said that the water is going to go into the street where the gutter is, that's pretty scary to me. And if you could do it through a catch basin and go tied directly into the drainage system, you'd avoid the whole problem of icing of the roadway. Mm -hmm. so, you, so the short answer to your question is, could there be a catch basin here? And could it be piped into here? The answer is yes. Does it need to be? No, not necessarily. Of course, you, we want, as a whole, we love to minimize catch basins. We love to minimize piping. We love to use country drainage. We love to run water across the surface of the land uh, in, when we have conditions that can, do, that can do that and sites that can absorb that. The reason this site works and we can do something like that here is because we are so greatly reducing the water that's actually leaving out to Brush Hill Road now. Uh, again, those 50%, the 60% reductions that I referred you to in the drainage report, those are very, very drastic reductions. By, by 
matching of the stormwater standards, we either need to meet or reduce. Now meet means we could, whatever water is leaving there, leaving the site right now, we could match that and meet the stormwater standard. But in this case, because of the way the site is designed, because of the way we need it to be graded, because of the way we need to control water to manage our property, we can accomplish some pretty great and significant reductions here. But we don't have to. We could, we could release as much water as going there now and still meet the stormwater standards. So for those reasons, adding an additional catch basin, while yes, of course it could be done, is really not necessary to be done because of the, the, the reductions that we will have there. All right, let me ask a related question and I'm gonna uh, change from the drainage report and go back to the notice of intent. Okay. And in the notice of intent, there is a, <clears throat> this, is a this is a ZBA uh, peer review and I am on page eight. I don't know if it has a, an exhibit number or not. Um, it's one of the Tetrotech reports. Just, just to, I think it's da it's dated August third, two thousand and twenty-two. Right. Just just to confirm, in the upper right-hand corner, you're referring to letter two of August three, two thousand twenty-two, page eight of the Tetrotech letter. Correct. You are correct. Okay. Please. Oh, one of the things you said that which is going to slow down the water when it gets to that corner that we've been talking about. Um, under item 38 under landscape plans, and, and again, I, I know these were comments and they were responded to, but it says, we question if vegetation at the southwest northwest corners of the site designated to remain can be achieved given the uh, given must be there, lack of any available transition space usable for construction. Please consider um, construction needs and confirm this area is still intended to be protected and maintained in its current form. I, that's the same area that you're talking about slowing down the water. And now I'm questioning, gee, I, are you sure it's gonna stay there? Mm -hmm. Now I recognize that that was for construction during construction. But it's the same area that you're counting on to, to slow down this sheet flow runoff. I, I am. We're obviously confident that it can remain here, as I've, I've mentioned tonight. I mean, obviously, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out uh, his, his immediate re response to that, which is in bold and underlined right below it, that says the comment has been addressed with the latest building and parking layout comment resolved. So his original concerns reference older sets of plans that are not up on this screen and revisions that were made. You're, you're seeing the culmination of all of those revisions. The commission is seeing all of those revisions here up on the screen right now. So previous iterations had some technical matters that were resolved, but in this particular case, based on this plan that you're seeing here this evening, uh, TetraTech ultimately agreed that uh, the issue was resolved and they didn't see it as problematic because it could be constructed and those areas could remain as suggested and as I'm suggesting here to you this evening. Okay, I, I'm, I'm kind of nervous about that sheet runoff going, as you say, into the gutter of the street before it hits the town drain. Mm -hmm. But I, I'd like to hear from other commissioners as to whether or not they have any concerns or comments or questions. 
Anyone, Todd, is this, is this drainage gonna work here? Um, so what I call overland? And what, do you, think, what do you think about putting a, a catch basin in there at the corner? I think it's a good idea. This is not cost prohibitive, right, Phil? Well, it, I, there is a cost to it. I don't know that it's cost prohibitive, no. Um, you know, it would, be, it would be a catch basin with the piping and would obviously need a, uh, an approval from the town engineer for a connection into the municipal system with a hard pipe, which her, her comments do not reflect a connection into the physical connection into the town system at this point. Mr. Chair, if I may, uh, this is Attorney Schomer, just to add one additional uh, item to your to your attention. We, we haven't really talked about this before, but you may recall at the site walk, we, we had a copy of the tree protection plan for this site. And if you look at the plan that Phil is showing here, the dot on the, on the plan there that's right above that indication P-4, yes. that's a significant, uh, I believe, 24-inch diameter breast height oak tree that is proposed to be uh, saved as part of the as part of the project. And so there's a significant area around that that's been left ungraded and and no drainage structures in that area for that specific purpose because the entire area is a is a construction free tree protection zone intended to save that that significant tree. And that was something that the zoning board was very particular about uh, ensuring that that tree and, and the, the trees at the the opposite corner of the site are were saved as well. But uh, Jesse, that's a that's a, a fair point, a good point. Um, so let me ask the next question: Could you do both? That is, could you save the tree mm -hmm. and still put in a catch basin, or are those uh, contradictory? Those are contradictory, because to to then your point of or suggestion of installing a structure here and then installing the pipe, that would be the a direct excavation within the root zone of the tree which could compromise the tree. Understood. Hmm. Anybody else, Arthur? Uh, I, can't, I can't see anybody. Todd, you mentioned it. Wendy, any thoughts, comments? Tom Palmer? Is, the is there a sidewalk where we're talking? Is there a sidewalk between the lot and the road? Yeah. I believe there is. Is there? there yes, yes, there is. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Would the would the flow also flow across the sidewalk? It it would. It would because it does today. Is there a plan that shows the additional uh, test pits that were done? I know there were four additional, but I couldn't find them on any plan. Uh, if I take you over to, so the, the grading and drainage plan that is included in the set, let me see if I can just highlight them very quickly. Uh, we have test pits. I'm just encircling them very quickly. Uh-huh. I, it was so cluttered. I couldn't find them. No, I apologize for that. So the ones with the check mark were the, the were the second series that were done those were the additional test pits those four do you recall that three of them were sandy loam but one was actual sand uh i do recall that they were good material let me just bring up the test pits 
So we had some sandy loam, but then we, you know, sandy loam, loamy sand, sandy loam, and sandy loam, uh, you know, is the as the base material for three of the four. Uh, so we use the sandy loam as the uh, design requirement, the design variable for the infiltration rate for the stormwater. Yeah, it is a test pit four that's loamy sand, a little bit different, um, but yes. very absorbent material. And uh, you are counting on taking all your impervious surfaces and directing the water into these soils mm -hmm. where it will be uh, becoming part of the groundwater, which is more than eight feet down around here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so one of the uh, reviewers asked, how will you discharge from your um, chambers when they fill? And I think your answer was, well, it will just flow out the top, but we don't anticipate that happening except on the most extreme storms. Um, it just seems to me that you are correct in that you are saying the runoff from all the impervious surfaces we're creating is no longer going to run to the road, but it's going to be introduced to the groundwater. Uh, I buy that. On the other hand, I, I'm a little skeptical about your idea that the existing condition, there is sheet flow to the road because these soils are very permeable. And uh, I think in many storms, they would soak up all the rain. Um, it's true when the ground freezes and then you have rain, well, it would run off. And I would ask, do we have uh, any information that the area of Brush Hill Road right here is a place that does puddle and does freeze? Is that something we have a testimony about? Or? Um, I, I don't have information to that. Jesse, do you know, was there anything in the record from, 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 from that? I'm not aware of any issues here. That, uh, I'm, I'm not aware of anything yeah. regarding yeah. that issue. And, and then, Mr. Farmer, to, to your point about the runoff condition, I, I, I don't disagree with you, and I, I can't disagree with you. Sometimes, you know, drainage is based off of a series of calculations. It's based on a drainage area. And it's based on prescribed curve numbers and it's based on the soil types and that's what we've done here that's what you see in all all applications you know your mileage may vary in terms of what actually runs off a site in any given condition so even though i may sit here and say that i have runoff in the higher storm events because of the absorptive nature nature of some of the soils here you may never see any more water come off of the property we can't guarantee that of course we have to base it on these baseline calculations but but you're correct in terms of there's some really good pockets of soil underneath the site. You good, Tom? Yeah. All right, thanks. I, I can't see uh, uh, Wendy, Arthur. Any questions or comments? Um, I'm here, John. And, um... No, thank you. I don't have any questions or comments or anything to add at this time. Um, yeah, and again, Arthur, I can't John, see. But... John, I, um, I shared Tom's um, concern about the uh, chi water on the sidewalk. And um, I understand the intentions are 
not to have a great deal of water, but we won't know until after the project is completed. So I was wondering whether or not the catch basin could be um, moved further to the right, maybe around uh, where 48 and 49 are with a piping, subterranean piping directly into the line going under the root uh, system and under the sidewalk. Yeah, good point. What, what do you think, Phil? Could you do that? Because oh, that would take care of the, you know, the the big elevation drop from the right to the left, and it would yeah. still preserve the root because nobody wants to take the big tree out of it. So the, the here's what we're designating. I'm highlighting on the screen. Here's what we're de designating as the root zone to the tree, and obviously we are constructing on the outer edge of it to to do the swale. And again, I, I'm not suggesting, uh, well, now, now with this relocated position, let's say it's here. Uh, again, I'm not suggesting that we couldn't install the catch basin, but then that pipe still goes through, or excuse me, I guess it would go in this fashion, still goes through that, that tree root, root zone, which we're obviously avoiding. Um, I quite frankly, from an engineering perspective, um, I understand your concerns, we, we hear them, um, I just don't think there's there's a runoff condition here that really needs to be belt and suspended with the additional catch basin. Um, I think you'll find that because the, the watershed areas are just so greatly reduced that the runoff here will be minimal. How, how about... Um something like uh, you see where your root um that red circle you've got in the left hand corner there the the, the uh, root space for the tree um what if you were to put just to the right of that you know closer to the 40 48 mark in there what if you were to put like a french drain across there just do a trench with uh, filled with stone to just slow it down so uh, let me see if I let me see if I understand that. You're suggesting yes, just like that. Just, yeah, just far a, enough a, away from the tree root uh, ball to to preserve the tree. A, just a, st a simple stone trench on the surface. Yes. I, okay. I I wouldn't have. Any... My, mine's a question. I, I'm not yeah. <laughs> advocating for it, but would it would it help? I I I I don't think it would uh, honestly. Uh, if it would help allay your fears, then it's something we should talk about. But I think the reality is I, I don't think it would actually provide any material benefit, quite honestly. Is that because of the loamy sand or sandy loam or whatever the soils are? Yes, yes. It's, it's such, a, uh, a, such a small area, such a, and it's comprised of grass, uh, and you've got the soils underneath that they can absorb it that I, I just don't think you'll see a lot of water coming out of here, quite frankly, my, my professional opinion on it. Now, if, the, you know, if, if, if adding that, the trench we could do because it doesn't compromise the area of the tree, if you will, I, I would suggest that it's not necessary and suggest that it's not warranted, um, but I understand that you, you obviously, the commission has concerns about that. Any, anybody else? Uh, Todd, what's your take on that one? 
I can't see you, Todd, so I don't know. Todd's muted. Can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah, we can. I was saying, I don't think it's a bad idea to take the topsoil and the subsoil out and put filter fabric and riprap in there. I don't think it's a bad idea. Well, that's negative praise. What about a good idea? <laughs> oh, I think that's a good idea to put it in. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, as I understand it, Phil didn't say it wouldn't capture water running down there. He just said he didn't think there was going to be that much water. Correct. But so to Tom, prevent you... it so you don't have ice enough on the sidewalk or the road, that would slow it down and trap some of it. You agree, Tom? Yeah, it just seems to common sense that this trench full of stone is going to catch the water. All right. And let me ask this, Phil, um, on the other way, on the, the, the piece of the land that's jurisdictional to us, it's, it's running along uh, parallel to the highway. Uh, what's, what's the flow rate there? That's, that's pretty level, isn't it? From it is, south to north? Yes, this, this path yeah, right. here is, is, is pretty level through there. And let me just show you by uh, calculation, we're approximately 47 and change here at yeah. this at the tree on this corner. And again, we're talking about 45 at the opposite corner. So you're talking two feet in a north to south direction. So it, it is relatively level. Again, super, super minor from a uh, stormwater runoff condition that would warrant the specific concern. Okay. No, I, I and I, I understand that. I mean, two feet is a lot different than 13 feet. Um, all right. And, and I'm not trying to play engineer. I'm just trying to play, you know, common sense here in the sidewalk and the gutter and the street. Th those are of concern. Uh, and any, any way we can slow down whatever is there, whether it's a little or a lot. Um, and right, if it's but, none, then there's no, there's no harm in putting a trench in. Uh, but, but all I would suggest is just putting it into context. If, if this project didn't exist, for any reason, we, we obviously hope this gets approved and we continue to move forward, but the, the runoff condition that exists there now will continue to exist. And we're reducing that by 50 to 60%. Yeah, but, that, so, but that's your, that's, you're reducing that what's going into the, the storm drains, isn't it? Well, it's, it's, it's what's, what's leaving the property toward Brush Hill Road. So, so our condition, our calculational condition uh, is to this property line, to here. True, but at least in your charts, doesn't it say uh, proposed runoff volume to municipal drainage system? Mm -hmm. That's because because it flows into the municipal drainage system here, where that catch basin to where that catch basin is. So we there. There's also additional flow outside of our property here certainly here all of that continues on but for our purposes we don't we don't care about that we look at it with blinders on we we need to be wholly responsible for everything that's on this side of the line our our text says that it it ultimately goes into the municipal system that's how it's written but it but it is in point of fact any water that's leaving the site at the limit of the property line 
Gotcha. Uh, what uh, kind of a collateral point, but how high is that retaining wall that runs along Brush Hill Road? Sure. So let me uh, just change my graphic here and we'll bring it back around. Uh, so we're, we have five to six feet at its highest. So right, right through here. So approximately 52 feet where you can see my cursor moving. Uh, so 52 feet here. And then I'm at a 46 and a half feet at the bottom here. So about five and a half feet at its highest point. And obviously the grade changes as you move along the site. Okay. All right. I, I can't see Wendy. I, I haven't heard you say anything. So I, I didn't know if you have any concerns here. Um, I, I'm still here, John. And um, I, I, uh, I don't have any questions at this point. Thank you. All right. You think that uh, French drain would be the trench there uh, with filter fabric would be a good idea? Uh, I'm, I'm afraid I, I'm, I don't have enough uh, knowledge to be able to answer that any more than, okay. than the experts already have. But it, it would seem to me that it, it um, with the soils that, that are on site, that it wouldn't be necessary. But, um, but I am concerned about, about the icing of the sidewalk as well. Um, okay. Uh, so I just, um, is there a consensus? Uh, I mean, Todd said it's a good idea. Tom said it's a good idea. I think it's a good idea. Um, and at worst, it's unnecessary. Um, but it's not, it's not a huge expense. Uh, and if it might help, I think it's worthwhile doing it. Uh, Arthur, how do you, I'm just looking to see if there's a consensus. I'm okay with it. Okay. All right. Um, who am I, who am I not asking? Um, I guess that's everybody, right? All right, any other questions? Uh, because this was really my only other question was drainage. And I think Phil has answered uh, the questions that, that I had. Oh, one more question on the drainage. Will there be any water running out the driveway on AMR Road? No, no, we've, we've graded it. So all of our water is, um, is collected at just coming along into here. So, we have our catch basin located here. So all of our water runoff is being captured. Now there's, there's a slight driveway apron, uh, you know, anything that's below the catch basin. So this cross section, this is a standard sort of urban driveway that that portion goes, but everything else is, is collected. Uh, thank you. All right. Um, along those lines, Phil, when we started this, um, I had asked you some questions about the elevation changes and you had drawn some arrows on P4 and I think it was P2. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I was, um, I thought they were going, one of them was going in the opposite direction. I thought sort of the northeast corner was 62 or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, am I correct though that the, in that section it's the flow is going towards Amar Road there, correct? Yes, I think I said it backwards when, when I was looking at the screen, but it, that is, it's 62 at the high point um, out there. And I think I had incorrectly stated that it was coming the other way, right. but okay. it is, it is in fact going that way. That way. Yeah, okay, that, that's what I had. I just wanted to 
you got me. Good catch. Okay. Okay. I realized I realized that as I was deleting it, I said maybe we'll get back to it, but it's going the <laughs> other way. My bad. All right. Uh, I just had a couple of other comments with respect to the the general order conditions, um, and I wanted to uh, make sure that we could include uh, the conservation agent Steve Ivis at the pre-construction meeting. Um, and my concern, and I, it, it shouldn't be a concern, I think it's already been addressed, but I note that in uh, uh, some of the letters, like from the town engineer, uh, they wanted to make sure that the erosion controls were in place prior to construction. And that would be something that I think would be addressed at a pre-construction meeting. And uh, that would be certainly one of the uh, conditions of our order of conditions to make sure that the erosion controls were in place prior to construction. Uh, are there any other questions, concerns? Because we're we're coming towards a vote on this order of conditions. Tom, anything else from you? Um, I'm just as a matter of curiosity. The townhouses will have contiguous backyards along the easterly lot line. Is that so? Yes. Yep. And there was some discussion in the letters. Um, does a fire truck have to get in there ever for any reason? I don't know the answer to that myself. So, so with, without speaking on behalf of the fire chief, we had many conversations with the fire chief about what is acceptable access under the NFPA code. Um, and at the end of the day, a fire truck does not have to get behind those, uh, those townhomes so long as they are accessible by men on foot that could, could carry ladders with them if they needed to. Uh, thank you. Anything else from commissioners? I'd just like to mention that this project was gone over in great detail by the Board of Appeals, unlike a lot of our projects we see. So there was a not only the stuff that was actually um, distributed to us, but if you go to the town website, there's a lot more materials that they accumulated including a letter from John Chesia, who uh, I think joined the neighbors at one point. At any rate, I think this has been carefully looked at before we came. So I feel a little better about uh, issuing an order simply because I think the wise heads in the engineering sense have looked at it already. All right. Uh, are there abutters or members of the public that would like to ask a question or make a comment? And Steve, I, I can't see all of the any hands. I think we don't have a whole lot of people tonight, but I don't see any hands raised. I, I don't see any hands either, John, but I would like to say that maybe the uh, ability to be part of the uh, pre-construction meeting and uh, see erosion controls at that time might be a condition we could think about as a standard condition in the future. I'm just making that note. Oh, I know. It's a good point. I, I think it should always be part of our, sure. uh, I like to call it the boilerplate conditions. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Because on the few occasions when it doesn't happen, we've had problems. Indeed. Yeah. 
All right. So uh, hearing no other discussion, unless there is some, um, is there a motion to issue an order of conditions uh, with the addition of special conditions of the, uh, um, what's the best thing to call it, Phil? Is it a French drain or is it a um, French? I would I, French. I, Trench, I, French drain? I, I would just refer to it as a stone trench um, because French drain and trench drain specifically can mean two different things, which would really not be applicable here. So I would just say stone trench. I, I agree with Phil. Okay. So a stone I. trench. Uh, in, the, in the area that you indicated on the uh, plan, and our purpose in putting it there, it would be to you know, slow down any excess water if it, if it happens, uh, but would preserve the area of the root of the tree that we're trying to save. So it would have to be far enough away from that that we didn't uh, destroy the tree. Uh, and then the two that we just mentioned, the uh, pre-construction meeting with uh, the Conservation Commission agent, uh, and he should confirm that there are erosion controls in place prior to construction. Uh, and can we also get a copy of the stormwater management plan and the O&M plan? Um, that's, is that an ongoing obligation to the DPW? I, I just like to, uh, under the comprehensive permit, I think, I believe it is. It is, yes, Mr. Chair. So could we just be included as a recipient of that? That's agreeable. Okay. Uh, any other special conditions other than the, as I say, the boilerplate and Jesse, if, if you don't know what I mean by the boilerplate, we, we have uh, uh, prohibitions of refueling and overnight storage uh, of hydraulic equipment uh, within our jurisdiction, but I don't think you have to worry about that because most of the project is outside of our jurisdiction. Understood. Uh, any other special conditions? Hearing none, is there a motion uh, to issue the order conditions on that basis? I move we issue the order. Thanks, Tom. Is there a second? Thanks, Todd. Any discussion from commission members? Hearing none, Arthur, how do you vote? Yes. Tom, how do you vote? Yes. Wendy, how do you vote? Yes. Todd, how do you vote? Yes. And I, John Kiernan, vote yes as well. Thanks. That's unanimous. Jesse, Phil, uh, thank you all. Thank you. Uh, Joe, I, I, I don't see you, but I, I see your name still there. So thank you as well. Thank you. All thank right. you very much. All right. So I think next on the agenda, we can move on. Uh, we've got additional business and we do have a couple of items on the additional business front. Uh, yes, Mr. Chairman, um, 11 Wentworth Farm Road. I issued an enforcement order that I'd like to have uh, ratified by the commission. And I'll tell you what the problems were very briefly. Um, they had a failed silt fence in the bottom uh, on the side closest to the stream. Uh, lots of windblown trash from the uh, dumpster on site. Uh, piles of trash on the site. Their materials weren't, weren't very well managed on site. Uh, the site didn't, doesn't have a construction entrance. So mud is being tracked onto Wentworth Farm Drive for whom we thank Mr. Hamilton greatly for cleaning it, cleaning it up. Uh, the curb on, at Wentworth Farm Drive was overcome with sediment from the site and the file number could not be seen from the drive. Those are just some of the uh, problems on the site. And I, I wrote 
down some solutions as well. So I'd love the, the commission, if they have any questions, I'll be happy to answer. No, I'm, I'm well familiar with uh, the issue and uh, uh, I supported the issuance of the enforcement order when it, when it issued. Um, and I thank Todd for his help because I, I, Todd, I did get a kick out of the fact that the contractor sent us a picture of a, of a very clean uh, Wentworth Drive. I cleaned it. I cleaned it. I know. And he and said I, I, I've probably cleaned that eight or ten times since the summer and fought with them and fought with them to clean it. No one did anything. And I just had enough. What was the tool you used, Todd, to clean it? Uh, a machine and brooms. What machine? A backhoe. Scraped okay. the whole road. I mean, the mud was packed over an inch thick some places. And I've witnessed that as well. So thanks, Todd. Um, all right. So is there a, a, any questions? Or, and certainly about us and members of the public can weigh in on this. Uh, but I would recommend that we uh, uh, entertain a motion to approve the enforcement order that issued this, this past week. Um, I'll make the motion myself uh, to approve that enforcement order. Is there a second? I second the motion. Thanks, Tom. Uh, all in favor? Um, Arthur, how do you vote? Yes. Tom, how do you vote? Yes. Todd, how do you vote? Yes. Wendy? Yes. And I, John Cannon, vote yes as well. So that's the unanimous support of that. How about 153, Steve? Uh, yes, 153 Hillside. Um, much to my surprise, uh, after Todd actually informed me of this, um, they cut all the trees on the property outside the 25 foot zone. What about on that conservation easement? Because that was part of our original order condition. No, they 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 oh. staked, John, they staked it with the hay bales where the 25 goes. So they didn't go outside their boundaries. Right. Right. Which is which is good. Well, what do you, what do you mean their boundaries? Because it's still within the property boundaries, but we have a conservation easement. No, no, I'm saying where the limit of work was that the engineers put the stakes out there yes. where the house would be in the 25 foot buffer zone. So they didn't go past anything. What the they had the engineers stake it first, the silk okay. fence. Um, and I understand, right. listen, I can say this I can understand them cutting the trees before the fence because when you start cutting trees with the fence up, the fence gets destroyed. Um, that I understood, and they did have the engineer stake it before they cut it, but they should have notified Steve. And, the, and Steve spoke to them, if I'm not, am I correct, Steve? Uh, yes, absolutely. I spoke to them earlier this summer, actually. Had the, uh, the manager, the project manager out there with me this summer. We spoke for, I don't know, half hour plus. And I said, this is the sequence. And again, it wasn't in the order of conditions erosion controls, then inspection, then uh, then a construction, uh, a, a pre-construction conference. So that's why I'm thinking we need to put that specifically into the order of conditions. That's all. Well, I'll say, no, I, I agree. I also- but, but, but Steve, do you recall, um, it was the Scott Woods Trust. Yes. That Webb Collins came in as trustee and he's the one that was uh, negotiating with us on the conservation restriction. And I think we picked up about an acre or was it like 
You, you uh, did, John. Way. You did. Right. But are you, are you comfortable that none of the trees were cut on that? Yes, because yes. That's, okay. that's more in the wetland and along the stream, the braided stream. That's, that's where that it, is. It, that's it, well, it's not, um, it's not all there. It, yeah, but the John, problem is like an L as you go in from the driveway. I thought the easement kind of went off to the left. I don't know no, if that's beyond Jimmy Corliss's house. Uh, but John, the plan, the plan that was approved showed the showed the limit of work and where the house would be. The exactly. same engineer, the same engineer and survey that did the house for, for Webb staked the silk fence for these guys and that piece of property. So it can't be out of whack because it's the same engineers that did both. Right. You are an optimist. <laughs> no, no, because I, I know who they are and I know what they're like. They're right. they're right precision when they do something. All right. Yeah, yeah. There are certain people who uh, do a good job. Yeah. There's there's people that you know follow the rules, and then there's people that kind of just go a different way. And we know who they are. All right. So, do what do we have? Did we do we have an enforcement order on on this? No. Um, what I did was, luckily, uh, Jeff Kane of LAL had located all the trees above four inches. And today I did the exercise of locating them all with my colored pencils, green colored pencils, <laughs> and uh, counted them and added up the in inches. And uh, there's a lot of them much more than the 26 that Marion thought, the 70 somewhat of them. And I don't have my, I don't have my numbers right here on top of, top of my desk, sorry. Um, well, we, but, but how do we enforce that? Um, do we need, and remember in our new regulation, there are different levels of enforcement orders. One is the strict one that's uh, on, the, on the state form, the, whatever it is, form five, I think. Yes, I uh, it says stop work, but the uh, other one is a letter saying, you know, please comply. Uh, um, do we need anything in order to issue this? I mean, if we're gonna be looking for a tree replacement. Up to uh, you, John, up to you. I, I think that the man is, uh, the, the, uh, the owner is very embarrassed by what happened. Uh, as I met him out in the field uh, last week. Very well, why don't we invite him then to the uh, January 17th meeting? Certainly. All right. And then we can discuss it. And if you could distribute to us the tree count and to him, of course, yes. um, the, the tree count so that we could figure out what would be an appropriate remedy. Be happy to. Okay. All right. Uh, on, a, on a much more positive note, I looked at 1387. I did a pre-construction meeting with at 1387 that didn't have a pre-construction meeting in the order of conditions as as well and they had gone ahead and cut uh, some trees uh, and did some grubbing while the owner was out of the country he came in he was extremely embarrassed uh, his while we were there his uh, contractor had was laying down some four inch minus stone which I thought was very helpful, uh, and so I don't I don't expect any problems from him. It was it was a miscommunication between him and his contractor, uh, and I did ask them to do some other things, and they did like stake down the erosion controls that they had placed already. 
Um, so very happy with that particular uh, team of folks working that site at 1387 Brush Hill Road. Well, will they be required to replace trees as well? Uh, yes, but th th those trees, that was already on the plan. Uh, you've already looked at that and, and the numbers and all. You've, you've done that work. Okay. Right. Is, that work. Yep. is that the site that we visited with the planning board and Ned was there at Flatley Field? Uh, no, not oh, at all. all right. No, sorry. That's that's through. It's close. Uh, it's close to it though, Tom. Yeah. Yes. It's, Somebody asked me what was the outcome of that visit. Did we reach an agreement about how many trees they would plant at that site? We did. Yes, that's the stone remember. wall that came up yeah. recently. Uh -huh. uh, Steve, you may have better recollection on that because I think Ned Cochran called me the other day on, on it just within the last 10 days or so and mm -hmm. said they had like six trees, three were within our jurisdiction, three were not, but they, they were talking to the historic society and they wanted to make sure they touch base with us as well. Because I think the planning board was there because they, they govern, Arthur, you'd know this, scenic. That's correct. Um, and then the uh, historic commission, right? We're all involved in that one, Tom. Um, and I think there is a plan that uh, I can reach out for Ned and see if I can get the actual um, plan and then distribute it because uh, Ned Cochran did um, did call me on that, so I'll get that distributed to to everybody. Uh, thank you. Okay. That'd be very helpful, John, on this and on the previous uh, topic. To, to have something concrete about that, which is jurisdictional map, et cetera, um, is desirable. Yes, and, and I should note that there are uh, flags placed on the other side of the street. So Ned, Ned told me about those maybe a month and a half ago, or maybe a month ago or so, yeah. On the other side of Russia Road? Yes. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And when we were there for the sidewalk, we determined visually that what was on the other side of the road was at least to some extent jurisdiction to the conservation yes. situation. Yes, but he, he had them, he had it flagged. Like, which is great. Yeah. Yep. And I have nothing else tonight, at least. I, I just had one quick thing, uh, and that was just to make sure everybody knows that on um, oh, on 582 Blue Hill Avenue, um, we did receive on December 19th, um, a copy of the request for a superseding order of conditions on 582 Blue Hill Avenue. That's the one that uh, we had denied for a lack of information and they filed a, well, it's pretty <laughs> significant brief here. I don't know how many pages, it's, it's pretty lengthy um, to DEP. So that's now underway. Um, I'm not sure they'll have to set up a hearing. They'll probably reach out to us. They being DEP will reach out to us to collect the file, um, et cetera. But I'll try to keep you informed. And I will, uh, I can probably scan this and send it around to everybody if you have any interest in reading it. Basically, it says that we didn't need the information that we had asked for, you know, having to do with uh, the mounting analysis and the, the uh, retaining wall that uh, whether or not it would, support the lateral pressure and whether or not any water would go underneath it, whether there'd be breakouts uh, from the hillside, whether or not the town drainage system would support the, the water running off of the, the property. 
uh, those were the issues that we had all discussed on that case. So I'll send that around. This that's just informational, and that's all I had. And and John, a reminder to get to the office once Kathy is back next week to sign the enforcement order and the notice of intent. I mean the order conditions for sixteen. Online. Sixteen, absolutely. Okay, right. she's she's coming back Monday. Is she? I believe so. Yes. Good. Perfect. Yep. All right. I think we're good to uh, go. Not Monday, but Tuesday, actually. Tuesday. Oh, that's right. It's uh, right. Tuesday. I forgot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Another year, Arthur. What's another year, Arthur? Right. <laughs> Doesn't matter after a certain point, John. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. You got it. <laughs> All right. Happy New Year, Jeff. Just everybody. grateful for everyone we have. <laughs> you got <Yeah>. it. <laughs> you All right. Thanks, all. God bless and uh, happy Good new night. year. All right. Good night. Bye. Good night.